0: Good morning, good morning, Rabotai. Welcome to Breakfast in the Class. We're coming to you almost live from the Three Pillar Bahamas community trip. Today's class is sponsored by Lawrence Benin in honor of his wife, Grace, and for her making 15 years pesa at home each and every year. Uh, what a beautiful dedication, magnificent. My friends, we say in the Halal, again and again and again and again on this holiday, a line that I'd like to analyze together with you today. We say the Halal in the evenings of Pesach on the first holiday. We say it in Pesach in the morning. We say it in the night of the Seder. A line that we repeat ad infinitum. And the line goes like this. Lo amut ki e va maaseh ya. Now, can anyone translate that verse for me? Lo amut, I shall not die. Ki but I should live. Ve'asaper And I will tell over the deeds, the actions of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. I will sing His praises. So it's a strange language, that those words that we just used. Because really, if you say, you're not dead, you're alive. If you say you're alive, you're not dead. And the commentators ask, why did David HaMelech find it necessary to say, I shall not, lo amut, I shall not die, because I'm going to live. It's the same thing. So I want to share with you a beautiful interpretation on this Pasuk. Lo amut ki I will not die. Now, our rabbis tell us that the word ki in the Torah has four different interpretations. Anytime you see the word ki, it can mean any of four things. Im, Ela, Shema, Mishum. One more time. Im, Ela, Shema, Mishum. What does that mean? It means if or when. So, im kesef talvet ami. Sorry, sorry, uh, sorry. Ki tavo el haaretz. When you come to the land. Okay? Or, ki, when, right? When you do a certain thing. Okay? If or when. Mishu means because. God did not take them. Derech Eretz filishtim. Ki karovu. Because it was very close to Egypt. And maybe the people might turn back. Ki could mean shema. It could mean maybe. Or Ki could mean rather or but. Each one of these four uh, languages or interpretations is a valid explanation for the word Ki. So when I translate it, most people translate the pasuk, they say, But or rather, I'm going to live. And then you have a good question. But actually, maybe there's another way of interpreting the pasuk, Lo amut, I shall not die, ki echeyeh, because I will live. And I want to explain the profundity of this concept. For many people, they ask a question. They can't figure out why they want to wake up in the morning. They're depressed, they're upset, they're anxious. They don't see a reason to live. Now, I want to explain this because the idea of living and the idea of being alive have nothing to do with one another. There are some people who look very much alive, you go to the doctor, the doctor takes their pulse, they have a good pulse, they have a good heart rate, there's nothing wrong with them. But end of the day, this person, they might be living, but they're not alive. Or vice versa, one could say, they might be alive, but they're not living. They're sitting, waiting to die. They're waiting, and I have to say this, and please forgive me, if this maybe kind of touches a sore point. You have a person, a girl, a guy, they're 18, they're 19, they're 20 years old. There comes a time in their life when they're ready to get married. So what do they do? Their whole life is on pause. I'm waiting for someone to come along to get married. What are do you doing? I'm, I'm dating. Dating is not an occupation, my friends. Dating is not a full life. That's not what it is. You have some people, what's going on? I'm looking to get a job. Trying to find a job is not a full-time occupation. Sometimes I ask someone, I haven't seen you in a few weeks. Oh, Rabbi, I got engaged. So from engagement to marriage, you have a full-time, 24-7 job being engaged Surely a man has other jobs to do. Surely a woman has other things to do. Sometimes what makes a person decide not to die, to be stagnant, not to grow, is the conscious decision to live. My friends, Rabbi Yehuda Shalom, when his wife passed away, he was in a terrible state. He was grieving in a way like you can't imagine. And the family and his friends, they were very nervous for him. So they came to Baba Sali at the time. And they said to Baba Sali, they said, You know, Rabbi, the Rabbi Rabsatka, you know, that he's, he's he's really not dealing. He's not processing. We feel we're very nervous for him. The Rabbi said, Listen, give him 30 days. The halacha is a person. For 30 days is in a period. Of mourning, they're in their own world. After thirty days, bring him to me. Thirty days pass. They bring the rabbi Rav Satka to Baba Salih Shalom. Baba Salih prepares for him a big feast. Rav Yudah Satka was a very simple man. Didn't like to eat big meals. Didn't like to drink. Very simple, very straight, very humble. Baba Salih sits him down. He pours him a soup. He says, "Eat." When Baba Salih tells you to do something. You do it. He eats. Brings him food. Eat. Okay? He's eating. He pours him a big arak. The rabbi, in his life, he didn't drink. If he smelled arak, he would start coughing. Baba Sali tells you, he says, I promise you, you won't get drunk. Nothing will happen. Your stomach won't go bad. He drinks the arak. And when Baba Sali poured arak, by the way, he wasn't cheap. He poured you a glassful, like the Moroccans know how to drink Arak. The rabbi drank the Arak. He says to him, he says, talk to me. How are you feeling? The rabbi starts explaining how upset, how down, how depressed he is about the loss of his wife. Baba Sali says to him, I want you to know, I had a brother, his name was Baba Haki. Abu the rabbi came to visit Baba Sali one day and he was very busy he used to go around giving classes lifting people up, doing everything for everybody he was very beloved not just for his Torah but also for his chesed he came to visit Baba Sali one day and Baba Sali said to him I see you getting up to leave stay with me he says, my brother I have to go I have a case of shalom bayit they're waiting for me. He says, Dakhilak, please stay. He asked him a second time. He says, I can't. I have to go. Shalom bait. He says again, please stay. Almost like he's not listening to his brother. And Baba Haki, Rabbi Ishaq, he said, I'm sorry. I have to go three times. He said, I have to leave. Ignore his brother's request to stay. Baba Sali said, you have to go? Okay. He walked him to the door. It wasn't something he always did. He walked him all the way out. He, what's it called? He departed. Everyone was very worried. They couldn't believe what was going on over here. On the journey from Baba Sali's house to where he was traveling to this appointment, Baba Haki got in a terrible car accident. The car was hit by a truck. Baba Haki and everyone in the car, they passed away. Baba Sali, he knew what was coming. He felt it. So he begged him to stay, not to go. But his brother didn't understand and he left. My friends, Baba Sali tells of Sadka, he says, for 30 full days, I couldn't eat, I couldn't drink, I couldn't sleep. I was consumed by grief. And finally after 30 days my brother came to me in a dream and he said, stop with your fasting, stop with your crying, stop with your praying. You don't know what a noise you're making in Shamain until they gave me permission to leave my place in Gan Eden, to come down to tell you to stop. Baba Sally says, how can I stop? The way I lost you, the way you passed away blood all over the streets is that a way for a sadiq to go and Baba Haki said to his brother he said Baba Sali he says if you could see where I am now in Gan Eden, how beautiful it is how special it is you wouldn't cry one tear you'd realize that I'm in a much better place than you are he said but the pain but the suffering He says, it took all of half of a minute and then I was here. And the angels, like you said, The angels came, the last words you said to me, they came and they lifted me to a higher place. My friends, I always think about this story. When I go to visit someone and I see people are in pain over loss. And I think, you know what, if only they would know, if they would have that understanding it would relieve them of some measure of that pain. But you know what? Not everyone has a brother like Baba Chaki that can come and say those words to Baba Sali. Not everyone can. So what do the simple people like me and you do? What are we supposed to do when we feel these words of the Tehilim? Lo amut. We don't want to leave. We want to be here. What do we do? How do we respond? How do we act? So I want to share that the pasuk is telling you something you know what makes a person lo amut you know what gives a person an extension on their life here ki for I promise to live people can be in a depressed state people can be upset over something over losing something over not having things go the way that they planned ki echeyeh, it's up to you are you going to decide to live? Yes or no. Not everyone gets Baba Chaki. Not everyone has a rabbi or a best friend to pick me up. You know, you hear people say, I had a difficult situation with a divorce, with a loss, with my business, with my plans for the future. Something went wrong. And you know what? It's not for my best friend, It's not for my dad, they rely on someone else to lift them up. But what if you have nobody lift you up? You lift yourself up. Because I want to live. You're sad? You're upset? You're depressed? You're anxious? What do you want? You want the rest of your life to be that way? Or do you want to live? Because... I want to live. Life is beautiful, my friends. Life is amazing. Life has so many wonders, besides for the things that you wanted, that made it beautiful. There is life, there is beauty, without your expectations. And it's up to you to choose it. How do you do it? You start recounting to yourself, all of the wondrous things that you do have. There's a pasuk that says, A cup of salvation I shall lift up, right? A cup of salvation. There's a fellow, I read an amazing story about a man who every time he finds something to be thankful for in his life, he writes a little note about this wonderful thing, this wonderful blessing that he has in his life. And he has a cup in his breakfront, front and he puts this little piece of paper, he folds it up and he puts it in the cup. And every once in a while when he's feeling down, he takes out the cup and he unfolds the paper and he sees, I have wonderful children, I have a wonderful wife, I have an amazing uh, wife, a uh, husband a mother, a father I had a wonderful father I had a wonderful mother even after they go is it not something to be thankful for that you were raised by such parents your grandfather, your grandmother the community that you live in if you have a cup and it's full of salvation then you call out in the name of God no matter what situation you're in So if a person feels like everything in their life is dead, and dead doesn't just mean that your pulse stopped. It means that things aren't moving. They aren't going. You know, salmon, my friend, my friends, they have a a unique attribute. Unique attribute of salmon is that they swim upstream. I don't know if you know this. And it's a crazy thing to witness. The stream is going down. They're swimming with all their might. They're barely moving. Barely moving. They're sometimes, they're stuck in place. They're not advancing one inch because of the strength of the current. A bystander standing on the side of the river, he looks, he sees this fish, it's not moving. What does he think? fish is dead. Then he sees another fish moving quickly. What does he think about that fish? Alive. Meanwhile, the fish that's moving... In the upstream, when it's in this upstream situation, is only the fish that stopped fighting, that stopped swimming, because it gave out, it has no more strength, it died. The current now is moving the fish very quickly. So you look, you see a fish moving, you take up, oh, that living fish, that's the dead fish. Sometimes, signs of life in a person, are not illustrated by the moves that they're making, by the progress that they're making, by the fact that they're dating, that they're business, that they're mazal, that they're chinuch with their kids, they succeeded, that they achieved the milestone. No. You know what illustrates that they're alive, that they're kicking, is that they're trying, and that they're not moving at all. Not moving can be the sign of the most incredible effort Of the most incredible struggle. Of the most incredible sacrifice. You have a husband. You know what? The wife pushes, 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 pushes. He knows it's the wrong decision. He fights with his wife because he knows it's wrong. Eventually, what does he do? He gives in. He looks like he's streaming the guy. The kids, they hassle the father. Change me to this other school. The school is a bad school for the kid. You know what? They're going to take it easy on him. But the kid's not gonna grow. The kid hassles the father every day, every night, every day, every night. When is the father being a father? And when is the father thrown down the cards and given up? When he's streaming with the kid, when things are moving, when it looks like everything that's when the father stopped being a father. He's dead as a dad. He's dead as a mother, she's dead as a mother. She's dead, as a, she's dead as a wife. When you've stopped caring and it looks like the relationship is just moving. That's not a sign the relationship's moving. That's a sign that you stopped fighting for the relationship. Lo amut ki Because I promise, I dedicate myself to living, to struggling, to moving forward. My friends, the language of our rabbis is sometimes very instructive. And if you're not paying attention, you might not notice what the pasuk is teaching you. And I want to share with you an example of asaper maaseya, how when a person lives with the Torah, when they live with Tifilah, when they live with emunah, how it causes them to live A life that is full of energy, of excitement, and even of struggle. But with an endless determination to move forward. That sometimes even saves a person's life. The simplest halachot. The simplest mitzvot. There was a soldier, his name was Uri. He was the one soldier in the whole group that was a religious man. His best friends in the group were Yigal and uh, and. Doron, Two friends that he had in his pluga, in his, uh, in, his, uh, in his platoon. Every day they fought together. And anyone that's been to will tell you that your life's friends, your best friends are the people that fight alongside you. Because you put your life in their hands and they in you. You have to trust each other completely. Uri is religious. You got a Doron, not. Every day they see him. With his tefillah, with his halachot, tying the right shoe first, his tzitzit, and every day they make fun of him, but in a good-natured way. What is all this silliness? It's getting in the way of your life. You should be free like us. You should. What? Come on. Who? Does this still really matter? Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. One day, as they're entering into a very difficult situation in the war with Lebanese they start realizing that they're trapped in their position. And the Lebanese are firing on them and they're exposed. So they turn to their brother, Uri, and they say to him, we need to find cover. We need to move very quickly. So Uri, Yigal and Doron, they start retreating to try and get as quickly as they can to what's it called, to cover so that they they won't get killed. All of a sudden, the worst happens. And they see their brother, Uri, get struck right in the chest on the left side, right above his heart with a bullet. Uri goes down. The two brothers, Yigal, Doron, best friends, they grab their brother, that's how it works, no no soldier left behind. They grab him and under a fire of bullets, they run as quickly as they can to get to the the, uh, foxhole. As soon as they get in the foxhole, they jump in the hole, they get on the radio, they radio the medic, Daniel, Daniel, and they say to him, the soldier's down, a soldier's down. And he asks him, what shall I do? But over the gunfire, he can't hear that Daniel says, turn him on his side. And he thinks that he hears, turn him on his back. So he takes this man, Uri, and he lies him down on his back. And Uri is losing blood, and he's coughing, and they don't know what to do, but they have to, they have to fight, because if they don't fight back, and they come down, they're all dead. So they tell him, we'll be back in two minutes, we just need to you know, hold them off. So the two soldiers, Igal and Doron, they rise up to the top, they're firing back. As they come down again to reload, they look down, they see their best friend, Uri, but he's not on his back, he's on his side. What did he think he heard? That he should be? On his back. So he turns his friend on his back again. They go up again. They're shooting, shooting, shooting. They come down a second time. A second time. The soldier who's fighting for his life, can't speak, can't breathe. He's on his back again. He's half unconscious. Again, they find him on his left side. Finally, Daniel manages, as they provide cover, to get to the foxhole. And he comes into the, what's it called? Into the foxhole. And as he comes into the foxhole, for the third time, the two soldiers, Yigal and Doron, take their brother and they turn him on his back. And Daniel, the medic says, what the hell are you doing? They said, we're putting him on his back. Already, this is the third time. He says, why are you putting him on his back? You're killing him. I told you to put him on his side. He says, they said to him, we tried three times to put him on his back. Twice he turned himself, he's not even conscious, the guy. He works on him and he manages to save Uri's life. The soldiers look at each other in that moment after he manages to stop the bleeding. And Yigal and Doron start to cry And Daniel, the medic, says, what are you crying about? And they said, we finally understand. Every single night when we're sitting together in the barracks, Uri, this religious soldier, we're schmoozing together at the end of the day. And we always notice that before he goes to sleep, the last thing he does is he turns from his back onto his left side because the halakha is that a person is supposed to fall asleep lying on their left side. Here, he's not even conscious. He's literally conscious, unconscious, fighting for his life. But something in his brain where every night before he slips out of consciousness, what does his body do? Turns to the left. And his halakha, and his Torah that we made fun of all this time, it saved his life. I shall not die. Rather, I shall live. Why? Because all day, every day, I relate, I do, I follow the mitzvot of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Sometimes the mitzvah that you do is so powerful that it becomes the because as to why you survived. My friends, every person, in their life is given a given set of circumstances. And we do not get to choose the cards that we are dealt. The only choice we get to make is how we play the hand. My friends, this pasuk challenges us. What do you want? You want to moot or you want to live? You want to sit there, be the guy who's a victim unconscious, you're the fish floating with the current, or do you want to fight for your position, for your dreams? I'm fond of pointing out that the word for dream in Hebrew is the word chalom, chet, lamed, vav, men. That's how you spell the word a dream, and everybody has dreams, but what they don't realize is that the same letters that spell the word chalom, spell the word lochem, which means A fighter. Because you have to fight for your dreams. Otherwise, the life that you live will not be the choice, the chosen life that you chose for yourself. It will be a reactive life that wound up happening to you. And I need to say this very clearly. There's a phrase that goes, even a broken watch is right twice a day. I have a watch, no battery, 8 o'clock. 8 a.m., Look at the watch. Right time. Even a broken watch, right twice a day. 8 p.m., I look at my watch. Even a broken watch is right twice a day. My friends, that statement, that line, is the stupidest thing I ever heard in my life. 8 p.m., 8 a.m., your watch is not right. Your watch is broken. It's not telling the right time. The right time is passing it by if you live the best life, a blessed life, married to the person that your parents chose for you. And you know what? She turned out to be great. And your kids, they turned out to be the kids that they turned out to be. But you didn't inspire them, you didn't educate them, you didn't guide them. So is your broken watch right? You're not living a life. You're a guest in your own story. It's not yours. And I will tell the story of Ma'aseya, of God's salvations, of God's miracles. You know, if you're not in charge of telling the story, you know what happens? Someone else will tell the story. I want to share with you one last thing With this will end. I was once at a conference and the uh, one of the ambassadors for the state of Israel was standing there and they asked them a question. They said, what do you think is one of the biggest challenges facing Israel today? Everyone thought he's going to say, Iran, Lebanon, Hezbollah, Hamas. Everyone thought you know West Bank, Gaza. What's the biggest challenge facing Israel today? You know what he said? For my daddy. He said PR. Public relations. Public relations. Because you know what, for many years, you know what Israel's PR strategy was? It could be summed up in less than a word. It could be summed up in two syllables. Nah. You know what na'a is? If you have kids. You know what Nah is, right? Why'd you break the glass? Nah. You you hit you hit your brother. Nah. That was Israel's PR strategy. You know, you had someone in Washington said, that "Israel's terrible. They're killing Arabs willy nilly," right? And you know what, uh, some guy from the Israeli PR office would stand up and he'd say, "Um, this is not exactly true, Uh, we are not killing the Arabs, we are uh, defending ourselves in the heights of Golan, right? That's always, they would sit there and they were playing defense. Someone said a story, and someone would come and say, this is not uh, actually, if you go look, you realize in the uh, geopolitical, you know, this it always was like that. So they told the story, and we came and we said, no. Today, Sahal has an Instagram account, because they learned. So Elon Karr said at the time, an amazing example. He said there was a very interesting actor, I don't need to mention his name, happens to be Jewish. He wrote a very funny song parodying this, the country of Kazakhstan. Okay, and he makes fun of Kazakhstan, and he says about how it's the worst country, and uh, the, you know, and all these different things. He makes fun of it. It's a—he literally turns it into a joke. Anyway, that song became the sketch national anthem of Kazakhstan. Hazid, some Olympic uh, runner, a swimmer, a jumper—I don't know about it—comes from Kazakhstan. He wins the Olympics. He gets up on the podium. What do they do? They play the national anthem. All of a sudden, they play the national anthem. Everyone is standing there showing respect. And this athlete is sitting on the podium laughing his head off because they're not playing the national anthem of Kazakhstan. They're playing this parody from uh, Sasha Baron Cohen. So he says, you ask anyone about Kazakhstan, what do they know? They know it from Sasha Baron Cohen. You ask them about the, uh, the what's it called? How do you, the uh, the national end. Which one they're gonna play? They're gonna play his. You understand? If you don't tell your own story, someone else will. The greatest success that Zelensky is having, having, is that he is not letting anyone tell the story of the Ukraine except for himself. Had that's not sleeping, I hope he has more than one of those green T-shirts because it's getting nauseous. (laughs) He goes to every Congress, to every country, to the UN, and he himself gets on the phone, wherever he is, on the Zoom call. Let me tell you about my people. Slava Ukraine, right? He tells a story. Countries need to tell a story. Businesses need to tell their own story. But most importantly, human beings, need to tell their own story. I don't want to die. So instead, I'm choosing to live. So I always thought to myself, how are you going to tell God's... How are you going to choose God's miracles? And the answer is, because God only helps those who help themselves. So if you're living the reactive life, God says that's good enough for you, no problem. That's what I'll deliver to you. I'll react where you are in the situation you're in. So your kid, you didn't push to go to the school that you know is right. They gave you a no. Anyone who's in sales will tell you. You know what no is? The beginning of a conversation. They told you no, that's when you schedule your second meeting. So you know what, instead what do you do? You take your kid out, you put them in public school. Because the Jewish school said no. So what miracle could God do for you now? He could give you a good tutor after school. Because you chose to go with the flow and accept the status quo of your life. Fight with your life. Fight with God. Says Al-Chachamin, the word lehitpalel can also mean to wage war. You're not waging war against God. But God gives you a world, and the world seems to be taking you somewhere. The downstream is just making you float somewhere. If you're not fighting for a good marriage, what's happening to your marriage? Every day, it's dying just a little. If you're not fighting for your relationship with your kids, what's happening every day? Every day it's dying just a little, your relationship with your kids. Everything you want to live, you need to breathe life into. Imagine that you need to give CPR to your wife, to your husband, to your parents. And as much as you put in, that's how alive it will be. If you're telling the story, then God will bless you with the siyata dishmaya in the chapters that you write. May Hashem bless us to attain our dreams, to fight, and to live our very best life. Barak le-Ulam.